Welcome to Engage Arizona. Public policy affects all of our lives, often in very profound ways. One of Center for Arizona Policy's main objectives is to inform and educate Arizonans about what's going on at the state capitol and in local governments that impact their lives. If you care about the preborn and their mothers, your rights as a parent, what freedoms are at risk, or how new laws touch your family, we're talking about it. And we invite you to join us as we discuss the latest developments you are not likely to learn from local and national news. Join us now as we unpack the week's developments in Arizona public policy. Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Cindy Dahlgren here with Kathy Harrod, Lisa Brugg, talking about the highs and lows of the week. We were all in the conference room on Wednesday watching the final Senate vote on Senate Bill 1457. Not sure what was going to happen, but but hopeful. We needed every uh, pro-life senator to vote yes on the bill to get it to the governor's desk. So, Kathy, what were you thinking when Senator Pace voted no? Well, I had a text that said that the votes were there and we were good to go from another senator. So then when Senator Pace was making his long-winded explanation of his vote, there were a couple of times where I thought, okay, he's going to go yes. But then his closing statement was, I get to make that choice and I vote no. And so when he said I get to make that choice, it was kind of an odd statement. It was about whether you know, whether you rely on a legislator's promise to fix a, a concern or whether you go ahead and vote bills out that have errors in it, in your opinion. Well, Senator Pace had a commitment to fix what he wanted fixed in the bill, but he still chose to kill the bill at that time rather than rely on the promise that had been made by the bill sponsor and the Senate president to move the bill forward now and then a follow-up bill would, would fix the issue that he had. So it, it's it's unfortunate. Yes, it is. So uh, where does it stand now? Where it stands now is, as I always say, it, nothing's ever over in the Arizona legislature until they actually adjourn for the year. Senator Nancy Bartow, the bill sponsor, voted no, only for purposes to be able to move to reconsider. So Senator Bartow next week will make a motion to move to reconsider. That means that the Senate will be able to vote on the bill again. Hopefully it means that Senator Pace will be satisfied and that um, the bill will pass. And then um, there will be another bill um, down the road a little bit to uh, meet Senator Pace's concerns. So how does something like this happen? I mean, everybody who was so vocal in opposition about this didn't say a word. I mean, this was their opportunity, and they had done it in the past. They stood up and talked about why they were voting no and said all kinds of horrible things about the bill. But nobody said anything. What, what does that tell you? Well, that's the challenge in the legislative process because it's very easy to ascribe motives and to think that, well, the Democrats knew that somehow the bill was not going to pass. And so they, they intentionally did not make their statements against it because they did not want to sway someone who might be a no to being yes simply because of their outrageous claims about the bill. But the way this whole you know process worked was Senate Bill 1457 passed the Senate of well, a few number of weeks ago, Senator Pace requested changes in the bill. Those changes were made in the House, along with some changes requested by Representative Cobb that we were supportive of. When the bill went back to the Senate for what's called a concur vote, Senator Pace did not like one of the House changes. So that's what blew everything up, to, to use that phrase, yesterday. All right, so there are options. T Lisa, talk a little bit about what the options are. Well, the reconsideration option is first and foremost. Uh, the uh, Senator Bartow made that um, 
clear yesterday, and I think a, a little patience on everybody's um, plate is good at this point. I believe there's going to be a lot of conversations over the weekend, hopefully very positive ones, and that the votes will be there when it does come up. Um, but as Kathy mentioned, there's processes for this. This could have been avoided. Um, simply by running a, another bill that would have clarified it. We could have got this one out and then um, used a vehicle or, or um, other process to get that through um, to get what he had wanted. To me, it, it was almost as if he didn't understand that process, that that was an option. Um, I'm hoping that was why he decided to vote no. Um, but now hopefully he does understand there's other vehicles and there's other ways to get this get this done and get this to the governor's desk like so many want. You know, he's the one person um, over there on the pro-life side that, that didn't allow it to move forward. So, Well, and let's be sure to emphasize that this is a bill about saving babies. This is about protecting babies who have genetic conditions like Down syndrome, dwarfism, cystic fibrosis, other genetic conditions from being aborted simply because they have a diagnosis of Down syndrome. So this is about saving babies. This is a, The bill has a number of other um, important provisions in it, but primarily this is about saving babies. And when you're pro-life, you vote yes on legislation to save babies. So I would just say that if you live in Senator Pace's district and Legislative District 25, be sure and let him know that you, you hope that he will change his vote and vote yes on pro-life legislation. And for those who like a little bit of the nitty-gritty, uh, can you explain a little bit more as to why Nan uh, Senator Nancy Bartow had to vote no? Well, the, it, to do a reconsideration, it has to come from the majority side. So um, the, only a person in that majority vote can make that um, motion or, or um, recommendation. So she had to switch to a no. Obviously, she was a firm yes. Um, had to switch to a no, unfortunately, so that she could actually bring it back uh, for reconsideration. And that's just rules. That's a procedural a rule that has to be followed. Okay, so right before this, there was a big push from pro-abortion activists to really inundate lawmakers with misinformation. They had a press conference, they had it all over social media, and they were really pushing, either they were completely misinformed about the bill or they didn't read the bill, or they were purposefully not being completely honest. But this is a good chance to clear up some of that misinformation that was out there. Some of the claims where it criminalizes women, which in fact it did the opposite, uh, ends IVF, somehow it had to do with miscarriages, it establishes a religion, that was an interesting one, and it establishes personhood for the uh, unborn baby. So it just, you know, it, it's national, these tactics. Um, you know, opponents will throw everything up. I often say the whole pot of spaghetti, they throw it on the wall and see what will stick. Um, it's to heighten emotion, it's to get reaction, so they deflect and go to claims that aren't even in the bill, that have nothing to do with the bill. But if it has something to do with abortion, they, they bring these things out um, and they go to the far extreme because um, they do move a lot on emotion. They're able to get people to respond using emotional tactics. And it's unfortunate, uh, but it, it, I, I didn't, it's not something I didn't expect. Yeah, but usually it's based in some sort of fact, right? <laughs> That's right. And on the hope. Yeah, you know, for example, on the miscarriage charge, well, the definition of abortion clearly exempts a miscarriage situation. A abortion is when a woman intentionally has an abortion to take, to terminate the pregnancy, to take the life of her unborn child. So this is not 
a miscarriage. Miscarriage is when you want the baby and you unfortunately have a tragedy and you lose the child. It's the same thing on IVF. The bill does have what's called a preamble that says that laws of the of Arizona would be interpreted according to the value of life, but subject to the U.S. Constitution and court rulings. And so they conveniently leave, leave that part off. But certainly we, we think that there should be a a pro-life policy in this state that laws are going to be looked at from the vantage point of protecting the life of the unborn child. So it doesn't have anything to do with IVF. <laughs> so, but but it's, it's scare tactics and, and you know, they work with some people. Thankfully, they don't work with most pro-life legislators. So let's talk a little bit about civility or the, the lack of it. Um, so, and Kathy, you've been around the Capitol for many, many years. Talk a little bit about uh, what has changed what has changed is really a lack of civility. It's a, it seems impossible on the more controversial issues of the day to have a debate on the merits, the actual merits, the actual provisions of the bill. And so that that's regretful because the public deserves that. The public deserves a debate that looks at both sides, the pros and cons of a particular proposal that's truthful, that's actual. Then people can decide. But instead, we, we see um, false claims being made. We see attacks on one another. You know, the example of um, Senator Bartow having a lobbyist during a committee hearing saying shame on you for sponsoring a pro-life bill and it, and it just gets worse on the floor. So it, it's unfortunate what we see and I, and I guess I would call on all of us that we have a duty to not succumb to those tactics and to ensure that we are rising above it and that we still do what we can do on our part to be civil, to keep the, our focus on the merits of the issue and not succumb to the the flesh kind of temptation almost to retaliate in kind right and, and you are mentioning you know the lack of decorum on the floor and i just heard a lot of gavel yeah, I, 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 I was know? just going to say the two tenants that working in this industry we always try to remember because there are always two sides is legislative courtesy and decorum and we always try to remember those things because it helps us to be respectful have respectful debate and and do it the way that that it's supposed to be done that way it seems to be lacking um, especially concerning to me is the legislative courtesy um, or just one legislator telling another legislator that they disagree or they or want to change or they're not going to vote for something prior to it being on the floor, um, hopefully prior to it getting out of committee. Just more communication and, and that that's usually when it's in the same party, um, something that's done regularly and it seems to be lacking. Yeah, and it's you sort of expect it in social media. But now it's sort of they've they've smudged those lines. At least some. I'm not talking about everybody, but you see some of the tweets that were out there that were just amazing. I mean, even Kathy just directed at you some of those um, sorts of things. But but the <laughs> yeah. line is crossed. Yeah, my favorite still is um, can we uh, like on referendums can we toss Kathy Harry out of the state? <laughs> you know, kind of. But I think it's also what comes from having 31 to 29 and 16 to 14 margins, and so it means that any one legislator can kill a bill. And so the when Lisa was talking about, you know, the courtesy is you let the bill sponsor know, especially when you're the same party, that you are a no vote on a bill. And that's not being followed um, within the Republican Party, to be specific at times. And and that, that just needs to change. People need to remember how to be a team player and how to work together for the common good. Right. And maybe it's just me, but it seems more like this session that there's some infighting more so than other times. Is it just me? I don't know if it's in, it's posturing, infighting, um, lack of communication, um, anger. I, it's, you know, we just pray a lot about it. I can feel it. 
mm-hmm. when I'm watching these things on Zoom or uh, because we're not necessarily down there this year that much. Um, but I really sensed it also even being in the chamber the other day, just just a little bit. Um, obviously, much more from the other side. But but in our, our family, we like to call it, um, hopefully we can work back to, to more of that, to better communication, to just that courtesy that we should. We don't have to agree on everything. Of course not. But the courtesy and the respect um, of working one another with one another would be it would be nice. Yeah, maybe some of it comes from, you know, COVID and we were out of session last year. And so now they just, they want to get as much through as they can. And everybody has their, um, you know, pet projects or or their passions. I think it's the tone of politics today more than anything. That it's the division in our in our culture, in our country, and it's the tone. And so everyone feels like that they are they have a license to be abrupt and curt with one another and not treat each other with common courtesy. And also, I think you have a point about it being distant. You know, it has been difficult having to do all of this remotely. Um, and just like social media, all these keyboard experts, it's it's easy for people to fire off a comment or fire off a comment if they're not really sitting next to you. Um, it's harder to do it with a person sitting right there. So I do think that that has an effect. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. So there was another vote recently in this one in Gilbert. This one happened to do with it was narrowly defeated by the city council there, a motion to use taxpayer money to pay for so-called sex reassignment surgery. Lisa, talk a little bit about that. I know you were really uh, yeah. into that. <laughs> well, it's just interesting. You know, it's it, it's a part of a long list of these affronts that are coming. Um, and that's what I feel about it. it it's it's one more. It's um, So they're trying to, the, the mayor and the um, a couple other members of the council, uh, it was a 4-3 vote want to earmark $75,000 a year of taxpayer money for sex reassignment surgeries for city employees. Um, Luckily, (laughs) it was voted down. But again, it just seems like because a lot of this stuff is not settled yet, a lot of it hasn't been heard, it hasn't reached the highest courts per se, that they're trying to normalize this in society. They're trying to get as much stuff done on every single angle so that when they do come up, it's less of a shock and it's more normal. And that to me is a huge concern. I don't know if you agree. Well, this is an example, once again, of forcing taxpayers to pay for uh, you know, a, a procedure, a medical procedure, to call it that, but gender reassignment, gender surgeries that are abhorrent to most taxpayers. Um, if you want to analogize it to abortion, that we have long had laws that protect taxpayers from having to underwrite abortion, but now we're having taxpayers have to underwrite hormone therapies. There's a question on the Gilbert proposal. Thankfully, it was defeated, but there's a question about whether it would cover those procedures for minors. Um, and whether the taxpayers, if it's a, a child of a city employee that wants to transition to the opposite sex, is the city paying for that as well? It's unclear from the proposal whether that would be the case or not, but that's a, obviously um, even more of a concern. Yeah, and they're already paying for hormones and they're paying for uh, counseling. Um, Does that cover minors in the family plan? I would imagine. It's unclear. Yeah, but I mean, my our insurance we cover our children under us so I I, you know I I don't know the specific answer but I would assume so I think that would be kind of a deal breaker for some people who might be on the fence of things you know if it included minors 
I don't know if everybody in Gilbert is aware of that. Well, and this is the challenge that we see is that we're seeing it in conservative cities or supposedly conservative cities, and that's why at Center for Arizona Policy, we are expanding our outreach. We're expanding to be able to cover more city things like we've done in Mesa recently, Gilbert, Scottsdale, that there's a need that we have got to be active on the local level. Yeah, I mean, we could move right into Arkansas, right? Because oh, they're dealing goodness. with on a state level there. But that one went the other way. Let's talk a little bit about that. So um, the governor vetoed the bill, and then the legislature voted to override it. Yeah, and it was politics. Interesting. Um, he knew he would be overrided. He even said that in his veto message. So it, it, it lends one to kind of question what the, the overarching uh, message that he was trying to send is. Um, well, and I, it's important to note, this was a specific bill that would have prohibited, now law in Arizona, in Arkansas, excuse me, wish Arizona, <laughs> but that would prohibit any puberty blockers, sex reassignment surgery, hormone therapy for minors, for children. And this, if you want to talk about child abuse, this is a new form of child abuse that you're enabling children to undergo this kind of transition. And so this is saying that in Arkansas, no, this is, they're going to protect children. And they're not going to, if the child turns 18 and they want to go through some kind of transition, then that's the decision as an adult, but not as a child. And I think the message that Governor Hutchison was trying to send was to other Republican governors is that we want to be the big tent, we want to be welcoming, and we're going to go along with the LGBTQ agenda, at least at some level. I mean, he, he's, he, he kind of had a message and what he would support and not support but still it it went it, it was it was um his veto was extreme and and against a measure that you know any poll you see come out virtually you know strong majorities of Americans believe that no we should not be giving our children hormone therapy puberty blockers or giving them surgery to change their sex. Hopefully that more statistics will start to flood out. I know that's one of the issues is that this is so rare at this point that there's not a lot of data points to refer to to show the harmful effects, except for now that is starting to trickle out and we're seeing this statistically how much damage it does to these children and, and that a lot of them want to go back and you can't go back. Um, so it is abuse. It is abuse. You know, and we're told and parents are told if you do not get these kids the hormone therapy and the surgeries and stuff that they will kill themselves. So the parents are afraid and they think that they have to do this, right? As if that is what is troubling the kid. And I was just looking at a fairly recent study. It was the largest um, data set on patients who had undergone sex, so-called sex reassignment surgery. And it revealed that both hormonal and surgical procedures do not bring the promised mental health benefits. So, uh, you know, to what you were saying, Lisa, it's... They're, they're somehow normalizing this. They're trying to normalize it and tell people that this is what's best for kids when it's, you know, it was five minutes ago. I mean, we don't have enough real right. data, but what yeah. they do see does not back up what they're saying. Well, and let's, let's be careful to also acknowledge that there are cases of true gender dysphoria. And one of the tragedies of this movement to normalize and make it like a popular in thing, especially among teenagers, especially among teenage girls, it is a very popular um, trend now to um, for a teenage girl to want to transition to being male. So the the ones who have true gender dysphoria are not going to get the help that they need because of how this is being handled, mm. and 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 that that is really a tragedy. Yeah, one of the um, big findings I thought said that uh, those experiencing 
gender incongruence, um, had to have as many as 49 surgeries for them right. to feel like they that. were. Yeah, I mean, that's just amazing, and it's, and it's sad. And then it, uh, the report was saying that initially there's some relief, but then after about 10 to 15 years, or, or sometimes even before that, uh, the suicide rate of those who have had these surgeries rose 20 times that of comparable peers. And this study came out of Sweden, which of course is, is very sympathetic to the so-called transitioning surgeries. Yeah, it's terrible. I, and you know, we're trying, you know, it's the impossible. We're born male or female. So it's an impossible thing that we're, you know, allowing. Um, and so we just got to keep standing in the gap and educating instead of trying to do the impossible is trying to help these kids align with their thoughts and feelings with reality, you know, in, including the reality of their body. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, you know, think back to those studies, I mean, over and over again, they show when when the younger kids are going through this, they almost always grow out of it through adolescence. So if we would just not intervene, that's very sad. Uh, all right. So a quick update, if you could, on Mesa. The situation in Mesa? That's a good news report. <laughs> okay. um, when the city of Mesa passed their so-called non-discrimination ordinance to add sexual orientation and gender identity to their non-discrimination ordinance, um, the residents of Mesa didn't like it. And so last week, um, over 11,000, I think well, 11,500 signatures of Mesa residents were submitted to the city with the people asking to vote on the non-discrimination ordinance to refer this ordinance to the ballot. It would be in November 2022 election and all likely on the general ballot general election ballot in November of 2022 to let Mesa decide whether they think that women's and girls safety should be threatened whether religious freedom should be threatened um, and to look at this ordinance what happens now is they have to verify those signatures make sure that they were registered voters and we have to have something like 9,100 um, actual voters out of those 11,500 signatures so that process is ongoing now but even so it Wow, that was a short amount of time. I was going to say God really moved. Yeah. 30 days. 30 days. It's 30 just days. God moved, and it's just wonderful to see. And it's really telling. That's right, and that's where I think what the politicians are overlooking today is how many citizens are fed up, fed up with the way politics is working, fed up with um, being ignored, and certainly the way Mesa did this ordinance was um, rushed through to some extent. It wasn't really, um, it didn't bring all stakeholders to the table to talk about it. And I think one of my favorite things was, you know, the uh, one of the mayor, the mayor, I'll go ahead and say the mayor in Mesa, acting like, well, this was a special interest group and this was an extreme religious views. And I'm like, okay, Center for Arizona Policy, we supported, we applauded what the Mesa residents did, but this was truly an organic grassroots effort. People in Mesa worked their tails off for 30 days to get those signatures, and I applaud those residents in Mesa and thank them for standing for what they believe in and for their right to vote and have a say in what the city's doing. Absolutely. So once those signatures are verified, that's a long road ahead. Yes, we'll probably be facing litigation. There'll be, you know, in these kind of cases, when you're putting something on the ballot, there are always, always different ways to challenge on the ballot. So they're going to challenge the description. They'll challenge the language, all this. So it it will be, um, over the next few months, will be unfolding, and we'll take some resources that are significant to defend in court, but we anticipate a legal challenge. All right, well, stay tuned. That's right. (laughs) right, And pray. Yes, Yes, pray. All right, let's do this again. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, 
rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.